Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Faintly, Perrin caught the reply from far to the south. We come. An image flashed in his mind, wolves running, muzzles pointing into the wind of their haste, running as if the wildfire raced behind running, flashed and was gone in an instant. And that's Eye of the World, chapter whatever we're covering this week. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome back. (laughs) I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my dear friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. And today we are covering chapters 27 through 30 of Eye of the World. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, the second half will be full of spoilers. So if you haven't read up to this point, you know, stick around, leave, do what you do what you got to do. Do what you want. <laughs> if you like being spoiled, we'll spoil you. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's what we do. I mean, if you want us to. If you don't, that's why you get the, the warning, right? Yeah. Yeah. But They like it. Yeah. We are starting out with chapter 27, and this chapter is called Shelter from the Storm. And one of the first things I think that stood out to me when reading these four chapters was maybe a little bit of a sense of urgency, Mm-hmm. where it, there's a lot happening and there are some mm-hmm. very climatic points. Definitely. But it feels kind of like we're going up the mountain now and we're about mm-hmm. to hit a point where things are just going to start mm-hmm. kicking off and going crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly how I feel, actually, is like... A little bit of impending doom... Um, yeah, foreboding. And yeah. I think I'm fairly certain I put this in the notes, but I think this is one of those places where Jordan kind of starts to really dig into writing not just fantasy, but also the evilness of men, the ability yeah. to bend truth. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because the many really shades up until this point, of, yeah, we're, we're not exactly. black and white anymore. Well, it it never was black and white to start out with, but (laughs) but we've had like fairly clear baddies. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like Drakkar, Trollocs, Murdral. Yeah, all three of them look as bad as they are. But when it gets compared to like a dark friend, it's harder to tell where the line is with people, characters like that. And I I love these four chapters for like bringing it in in such an intense and painful way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, When we left off, all of the groups have started, everyone except for Perrin's party has reached Whitebridge and Mm -hmm. Rand and Matt had their attack from the Merdral. They were separated from Tom. Tom is assumed dead at this point. Mm-hmm. And Moraine and company have also made it to Whitebridge, and they are kind of searching out some answers, I guess. 
Yeah, they they actually arrive in the next chapter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is what this happens point... when we record. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I totally get it. I always goof up where things are. But anyways, Perrin yeah. and his group are still making that journey towards Camelin. Yeah. So they have bypassed. They're not going to Whitebridge. Smart choice. Good All choice. All things considered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Perrin. And they are still with the Tuatha on, and it is Perrin, Egwene, and Elias. And mm-hmm. Perrin is really concerned about the speed at which they are traveling with mm-hmm. the Tinkers. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling very concerned about putting them in harm's way. Yeah. And this is this is just Perrin. He very much so. He he likes to think ahead and he's weighed his options and this one doesn't feel right to him. But yeah. as they're traveling around, Elias is compared to kind of like stalking around the caravan like a wolf. And mm-hmm. this is in very stark contrast with the tinkers who are just kind of I mean, they can't even walk. They all have a little bit <laughs> of a dance to their step. And very mm-hmm. carefree and happy-go-lucky. And Elias just looks like a predator compared mm-hmm. to these people. And um, Perrin is just, you know, he can't he can't stop asking Elias, like, we got to hurry up. We've got to leave them. You know, we've got this trip that we have to make. And mm-hmm. Elias is saying that he has a feeling that they need to continue with the Tuathan. Mm-hmm. But he can't explain why. It's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. And he tells Perrin, you know, your journey is going to get much harder. So mm-hmm. rest when you can rest and yeah. take advantage of it. Yep. And I think this is also kind of interesting because Elias is compared to an animal. Mm-hmm. And it's this very wolfish, you know, idea like mm-hmm. sleep when you can sleep, eat when you can eat, fight when, you know, it's just it when kinda, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the group continues traveling for days with the Tinkers and all seems to be pretty carefree and kind of even joyous, except mm-hmm. for per- Perrin's, you know, worries. Mm-hmm. And he's been receiving a lot of attention from the young <laughs> Tinker women. <laughs> Not they, all young women, though, too. Oh, yeah. Just um, parent women parent of brings all. all the girls to the yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does. Regardless of age. Yeah. And they are doing these sensual dances that make him blush. And they seem to be enjoying making him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they, yeah. They even taught Egwene the dance, which makes yep. Perrin even more uncomfortable. Of course. Um, yeah. So we should also mention that Aram, the young tinker man, has been focusing all of his attention on Egwene. Mm-hmm. And this makes Ela, his grandmother, worried for some mm-hmm. reason. We don't yeah. get to know why, but mm-hmm. put it in your pocket. Um, yeah. Perrin continues having nightmares about the shadow spawn slaughtering the tinker camp. And one night, Baalzaman enters Perrin's dreams He's in the back of Mistress Luhan's kitchen, and he's, Mm -hmm. I think, sharpening a tool or something, which he knows Mm -hmm. he shouldn't be doing because she doesn't allow that work to be done inside of their home. Yep. And Mm -hmm. she's cooking something and minding her own business. She's completely in her own separate area and not 
a part of this dream. She's oblivious to everything that's happening, even though it's happening right there well within earshot mm-hmm. eyesight everything yes. she's which is kind of what makes it so eerie mm-hmm. is that she's just like unfolds. kind of like humming and cooking mm-hmm. and minding do, her do, own do, business do. yeah here's some herbs mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun. hey balsamon i'm just gonna hey. pretend you're not here yes. yeah <laughs> but yeah Alzamon tells perrin that if he is the one the eye mm-hmm. of the world will consume him And again, we're getting the name of the first book dropped in here. And Mm -hmm. we don't know what the eye of the world is. So Mm -hmm. if you're on your first read, it can be kind of confusing. Um, I think so, yeah. And then Baal Zaman kind of like uses his finger and then, oh, there's a wolf in Perrin's Mm -hmm. dream. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of curled up next to Perrin. But Baal Zaman, like, waves his finger around. I don't know if he points or snaps or whatever, but the wolf Mm -hmm. bursts into flames, and Perrin's trying to put out the flames, and the wolf is turning to ashes in -hmm. his hands. And then a raven flies at Perrin's face, and Mm -hmm. it wakes him up with a jolt. Mm -hmm. So Perrin sets up from sleeping, completely panicked, from the dream, and Elias is there ready for them to leave within seconds. Mm-hmm. And at this time, it is just mayhem. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. The wolves are howling, and Perrin is feeling emotions from the wolf bond, and it's, you know, these feelings of hatred and pain and anger and loss and fire. Mm-hmm. And Elias tells Rain, like, look, guys, It's been nice, but we've got to go right now. And Mm -hmm. uncharacteristically, instead of having a big last meal and a party, you know, a goodbye party, I don't know exactly what their custom is, but Mm -hmm. the Tinkers like to have a a joyous celebration, it seems like. Yeah, for everything. Yeah. But in this instance, rain just moves through the camp, lightning fast, banging Mm -hmm. on doors, waking everyone up and no final meal together, just getting everyone all lined up to make the rounds of goodbyes. Mm -hmm. And I think it also should be mentioned that Rain looked at the sky before the goodbye and he sees that the sky looks dark in the morning twilight and he on the spot decides that he's going to turn the caravan Mm -hmm. in a different direction and find a Mm -hmm. steading. Mm-hmm. So very foreboding. <laughs> very, very. Mm-hmm. And I, this, Tracy and I have talked about this, but these few chapters were very emotional mm-hmm. <laughs> for me in particular. Something about the Tuatha'an having this moment of haste and getting everyone pulled out of their beds to say goodbye to our mm-hmm. travelers just made me really sad for some reason. Um, I don't know why exactly, but it was kind of just, I think it's something like this feeling of things not being right. And Mm -hmm. there's this, you know, speed at which everyone noticed, okay, something bad is going to happen and we're all going to be split ways now. And for the most part, um, yeah, some some of these characters we may or may not ever see again. So, mm-hmm. well, and I mean the the chapter is called "Shelter from the Storm," mm-hmm. and so like there's this momentary experience of 
peace and connectedness. Yeah. And I mean, I think Perrin at some point in the chapter says something like the Tuathan didn't have to worry about trying to convince people of the way of the leaf that the way that they lived it was Convinced, enough to yeah. pull. Yeah, it was enough to pull you into it. And mm-hmm. I think he even kind of worries about a green choosing to stay with the oh absolutely the absolutely yeah. because Aram, Aram sure wanted her to yeah, stay yeah Aram pulls Egwene aside and tries to talk her into saying but Egwene mm-hmm. you know pretty much puts her foot down and we can't hear exactly what she said but I'm assuming mm-hmm. it was you know kick rocks like I'm out <laughs> you know I've got to go you aren't my destiny right this was fun mm-hmm I'll remember yes. you fondly. Yeah. I'm going to go be a nice and I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in this moment, again, like this is the strong, tough Egwene that I love where. I agree. I remember when I was, when I first read this part, I wasn't sure, you know, I mm-hmm. thought like she's really having a good time here, you know, like yep. she might have just found her. People. Her new calling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've seen her kind of shift herself to accommodate who she's traveling with. So, like, she unbraids her hair after mm-hmm. traveling with Maureen. Right. And um, we come across the traveling people, and she's learning how to do their dance. And when mm-hmm. she she leaves, or and she even talks about how her and Isla, it's Isla, right? Mm-hmm. How, or like, Ela, Isla, yeah, talking yeah, about like being how, a woman. Yes, yes. This I'm is sure the best. Yeah, this is the best burn maybe of the whole series. No kidding, right? <laughs> so funny, so on point. So as they are saying goodbye, Elias has formal words with Rain and tells Rain, "I will find the song. I will find the song, or another will find the song, but the song will be sung." And this really surprises Rain and Isla, and they're like, Mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. You know, and I myself am like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So where did he get that from? Yeah. So, I mean, they ride off, and as they leave camp, the wolves are immediately reunited with them, Mm -hmm. and Elias learns a little bit more about Perrin's dreams, And we learn as the readers that if Perrin continues to force the wolves out of his head, Mm -hmm. then they can't protect him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we end off. Yeah. It's a good chapter. It is. It's a very good chapter. Yeah. I love the dancing in that chapter. I love the way that it makes Perrin uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's such a, it's such a cozy scene and it's comforting, but it comes to an end. And that, I think that's where like the emotional tug yeah. definitely comes in. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we know that they can't stay traveling with them forever. And Perrin is even like you said, saying how the way of the leaf makes such a big impression on people. He can see mm-hmm. why it would be easy to, to stay. And mm-hmm. I think that might be one of Elias's hesitations in general about being around the Tuathan mm-hmm. is like maybe you don't want to get too comfortable or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. You but don't want to get sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of like being in a candy shop, you know, like this is too good mm-hmm. to be real. Mm-hmm. And 
in a society where it feels like there's no real problems that right. has to, especially what's going on in the world of mm-hmm. the series at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. trollic raids and mm-hmm. wars and false dragons and bad yep. weather and no food and mm-hmm. so on. But here things to be like, se- seem to be pretty okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to know where the Tuathan get all of their vegetables, though, since they don't eat meat. I mean, they I have, was wondering well, that they too. have to be good traders, right? Since they can right. repair things. Yeah, and I bet they're really good foragers too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, what do they feed they their probably, dogs? I wonder if they subscribe really to like a good vegetarian diet to their for their dogs. <laughs> For that seems like it would, it would be really hard to do. Like if I try to hand <laughs> Churro something that's like a vegetable, he like Let's sniffs at it and here looks with at me carrot. like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I like red meat. Thank you. <laughs> oh, he's so spoiled. That dog is so spoiled. Uh, so going on to Footprints in Air. So Nynaeve and Lan and Moraine arrive in Whitebridge. And Nynaeve thinks to herself, another legend, and they don't even seem to notice. She vows to herself in this moment not to let them see her gaping like a country bumpkin. And I love how uh, Nynaeve, she's just so very sensitive to how Mm -hmm. she's perceived by others. And in particular, it seems like she really just doesn't want Moraine or Lan to see her. In awe of anything? Yeah, like... Like, somehow that would make her less well-traveled, less... Yes, yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, why not? You know? Mm-hmm. It I is a legend. She's... You've never seen it before. Let's be fair here. More rain does not have a delicate touch when dealing <laughs> with Nynaeve. And Nynaeve... I'm, I'm sure Moraine knows that if she was any other way... Mm-hmm. Nynaeve would just steamroll her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they've just, they've got this almost competition going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, cool. in Nynaeve's mind, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because she even says some at yeah. some point in this chapter that like, it was like they were in a, a fight against each other and Moraine had won every point without realizing that she was ever in the fight yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Moraine is trying to be in a competition with her, but Mm -mm. I don't think she understands Nynaeve very, very well. Or maybe she understands her really well. well. Yeah, because she knows that if if Nynaeve goes off to be a novice in the White Tower, her behavior is not going to fly. And so maybe she's trying to, in the best way she can, prepare her. Or she knows... Oh, God. Spoilers. I can't... (laughs) (laughs) or Nynaeve's personality is very caring and very compassionate Mm, despite mm -hmm. her outward absolutely jaggedness yeah like she's she's very rough but she's like just this tender-hearted emotional person on the inside and I love that about her like it's one of the things that I love the most about Nynaeve like I she's a cancer absolutely I (laughs) It's relatable. It's like, I am a woman in a shell. Like, I am a mm-hmm. soft clam in a hard shell. Me too. Shell. 
Me too, Nene, me too. It's like when she said, you know, Egwene will die if I don't take her to Tarvalin. And that is mm-hmm. just putting a spear through Nynaeve's heart. Like, Absolutely. This is the one thing you could say to get her to change her mm-hmm. mind about going to Tarvalin. Absolutely, yeah. At this at this point, she vows to go to Tarvalon, but her motivation is revenge against Moraine yeah. and what may have happened to the boy as a Deguin. Mm-hmm. So we do not have anything confirmed, but she's already like stoking this fire of anger mm-hmm. and vengeance. And I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. So Nynaeve has been pestering Moraine about how she plans to find the missing Emmons Fielders, and Moraine keeps explaining to her that she will know when she's close to the two that have lost their coin, and she can follow the third, who still has his coin, halfway around the world. So Moraine is feeling really good about this. Nynaeve is feeling very frustrated by this. And as much as Moraine is able to get under Nynaeve's skin... Lan is worse. And Mm -hmm. Nynaeve feels as though they are just too blasé about the missing people of their traveling group. She's noticing that underneath everything, they're still stressing hard. And it's getting worse with every passing hour. Moraine's facade of, you know, not showing any emotion is starting to crack. Yeah, and, and I mean, we Nynaeve is really perceptive on a lot mm-hmm. of different levels. So she's starting to feel under the surface of what's happening as well. Like She's like, I'm figuring you guys out. You are stressed about this. You mm-hmm. are uncertain about this. And I don't think that that makes her feel any, be- no. <laughs> any better. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Lan tries to tell Nynaeve they face too much danger and she should just head back to the two rivers and... Moraine is like, chill, Lan, Nynaeve is part of the pattern now. And Nynaeve sees this dismissiveness as like him trying to get rid of her, that she's not strong enough to do it. But I see it it as Lan. genuine? Yeah. Like, hmm. Is he genuinely, yeah, is he genuinely worried about her well-being? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And he's trying to like Keep her out of harm's way. Yeah, like this is the best way he can think of to do it. So good on you, Lan. But Maureen says that it's the dark one that she has been feeling that his attention has lessened, but he's still watching. And Maureen muses how long it will be until fill in the blank. But I think this is another spot where we we can think about Nynaeve being able to uh, listen to the wind. Is that what is it that they can do? Like wisdoms are supposed to be able Mm -hmm. to do? Okay, yeah. So like... She's also recognizing that this is now attached to the one power in a way, Mm -hmm. but she keeps feeling like the weather's going to change and it's not. And Maureen just kind of explains, it's the dark one you're feeling. I can't imagine that that felt great. Like all of a sudden you Mm -mm. find out that you're sensitive to the fact that the dark one is busting loose. Not to change the subject, but this is also... Very similar to what Elias was feeling, like there's something Mm. in the air. Mm. And he's saying, like, we got to stay with the traveling people right now. I don't know why, but it's just a feeling. He just feels it. Yeah. And Perrin at the same time, too, is like, we got to go. Like, there's like he feels the pressure that something's bad is going to happen and they need to move Mm -hmm. like quick. And Mm -hmm. so Elias is Moraine. 
and Perrin is naive. Yeah. Like in these two chapters. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh, what a good point. That's a really good point. But they then arrive in Whitebridge and begin to cross the river. Nynaeve is surprised that something that looks like glass, as well as incredibly delicate, is so sturdy. And the horse's hooves ringing, not like steel on glass, but steel on steel as they cross the bridge. I bet that bridge is just beautiful. Right. Do you think we're going to see a white bridge in the... Is there a white bridge in the show? Do we know? I don't know. I mean, there's going to be major changes, and a lot of places aren't going to show up. We know that for a fact. But yeah. I feel like white bridge would be one of those things where it would be like, ooh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, like to pull in the idea because I I don't know how they'll pull in the idea of the Age of Legends without putting in things like that to show that there was a time before and where it that has there's this, been where there's this yeah um, science fiction feel mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like because something impossible. They could very easily make this feel like one of these medieval themed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fantasy settings where, mm-hmm. I mean, when we've seen the wine spring in, that's what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. From what yeah. they've released. And I get the distinction that it's not going to be totally like that. So. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe Whitebridge might be one of the, like, I, I don't know, one of the cool things that they pull in. You saw Moraine's outfit, though, from what the German <laughs> Amazon. I did. I did. Released. I, did. And I, don't, I don't know why someone thought it was a pantsuit, though. I'm still confused <laughs> about that. I'm still confused. I admit it. <laughs> Well, it was it. I mean, did you get the sense that it was like divided, like riding skirts or something? Oh, oh, possibly, yeah, yeah. I saw someone online said that. What she usually wears is the divided skirts for riding. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. And two, it almost looked like the material of her jacket Mm -hmm. would be something very weather resistant. You know what I mean? Yes, and one of the things that I did notice was that her dress was fairly plain looking. You know, she's not really, I think she's wearing a pair of earrings. Yeah. But she's not wearing her her gem Mm -hmm. and her clothing. I mean, as it's so often said in the in the book it's well cut but it's not fancy and that certainly seems to apply to what it looks like she's wearing in that moment because I remember thinking like oh that's kind of plain could Mm -hmm. Maureen be wearing something cooler maybe but then like talking about it now I'm like well duh she's writing yeah like you're not gonna be yeah you're not gonna be wearing all of your frilly palace ready yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you Tracy thank you you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I really like I would love to see Whitebridge. I and I mean we talk about this all the time. I love architecture and I love what can be done with technology now that could like mm-hmm. seamlessly bring in something that doesn't even exist in mm-hmm. the real world and make it as fantastical as possible cuz like I think Whitebridge sounds more... like fiberglass. It does. And it sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's described as like late like if glass were made out of or if lace were made out of glass, mm-hmm. it would look like the white bridge. It's another bridge. one of those things where last week we talked about crystal-like lattice. 
mm-hmm. you know? And this yeah. is, like, if lace was glass. So mm-hmm. I'm getting, like, a distinct image in my head from the two. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Um, but as they get halfway across the bridge, Nynaeve notices the tarry smell of char thickening the air. And then they see what has happened in Whitebridge. Around the square at the foot of the Whitebridge, piles of blackened timbers still leaking smoky threads replaced half a dozen buildings. The square is filled with freshly assigned militiamen and scurrying people who looked as though they would rather be anywhere else. So something has happened at mm-hmm. Whitebridge. And the last time we were in Whitebridge was when Tom was attacking the Madral and there was that huge flash of light and Matt and um, Rand went running off. So now mm-hmm. we're seeing the aftermath of that attack. In Nynaeve's eyes, Moraine shows an extraordinary level of empathy and compassion towards the mm-hmm. unsettled people they approach to ask questions. To us, this is not surprising. Like, we've seen Moraine's kind of soft touch when she's mm-hmm. working in New Spring to talk yes. to people about finding the Dragon Reborn, but Nynaeve definitely has this, like, darkly biased opinion yes. of yes. Moraine. So she's like, oh, look, she has empathy. And everyone seems <laughs> to kind of, like, loosen up and talk to Moraine even if they're still lying and Nynaeve is like you're talking but you're lying and there are many variations of what has happened to cause the damage that they are observing there's mention of a ship that fled a void being attacked by a mob rumor attached a gleam into the ship maybe it's Tom mm-hmm. Tom girl and then mail channeling was something that was suggested as well and that the Red Aja should come and just take care of it Maureen steps into a familiar common room, holding her hand up as a feeling for something which she finds, smiles, and enters the inn. And of course, this is the same inn that Matt and Brand and Mm -hmm. Tom had been in before. As they are finishing their meal, a soldier of the militia approaches their table. He appeared resplendent to Nynaeve. What a good word. I love that Mm -hmm. word. Um, With his sharp uniform, Lan gives off major Witcher vibes when he tells the soldier <laughs> they will be leaving as soon as Lan finishes his ale. Have mm-hmm. you watched Witcher? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. That it's was so a very good. Geralt moment. Like, it I'm really getting was. the F out of here. <laughs> you can just hear him in, like the super gravelly voice. <laughs> yeah. No words, just graveliness. <laughs> what I like about this is Nynaeve's observation of Lan as well. And she says, the warder's hard-planed face was expressionless, but there were those cold blue eyes. So So cold. cold. (laughs) So cold, Lan. Mm -hmm. So Moraine finally reveals that the boys had been in this room no more than two days ago. She can feel their residual fear. She also determines, since they have no way of knowing which way these two went, they will go after the one they can easily locate. She reasons that sooner or later they will remember Camelin and she will find them there. And this part I'm just going to say for the spoiler section. Okay. So this still leaves the whereabouts of poor Gwen and uncertainty and an obvious lesser priority for Moraine than finding the three boys. But Moraine informs Nynaeve, I do not easily give up young women with that much ability once I have found them. Nynaeve feels sick, wondering if she's one of those young women. And that's where that chapter ends off as they go and try to find whoever still has their coin because they don't know at this point who has their coin and who doesn't. Yeah, this was something that kind of confused me with her channeling or I'm sure this is just one of her weaves where she was able to pick up on the fact that they had already been at this inn Mm -hmm. and she feels their fear, but I'm just, maybe that's something like the arrow um, 
yeah. alarm, the horse alarm or the that's actually like that's actually one of the things that I wondered about as well is like how can she still feel them? Yeah. Like what attachment does she have to them mm-hmm. that allows her to still feel that residual fear? And she also seems really certain that they're going to go to Camelin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like that's that's an awful lot of trust in people that you have just met and who you are definitely certain at least one of them is ready to get the fuck out and be nowhere close to this party any longer. This is yeah. a lot of confidence on Moraine's part that the people that she needs to be in the places where she needs them to be in will actually be Either. there when they get there. Like how long would she wait in Camelin? Like a year later, they'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later, they'll and remember. All the I don't know why Maureen gets kids an old have pulled. I mean. Right. How can, can she trust certain? them? Yeah. She just, she feels so certain about it. I'm like, oh, all right. All right. I don't think I would. No. But oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what, like, I don't know what other choice I would make mm. at the same time. Like, I'm pretty sure I would do the exact same thing. I would find the person that I could locate for certain mm-hmm. rather than going on a wild goose chase trying yeah. to find the other two. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like she makes the right choice, but at the same time, I'm just like, that's a lot of faith you have. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Aww. Such a big yawn. Tired, Amber. <laughs> Tired, Amber. <laughs> so, Trooper was there anything Amber. else that you wanted to add to 28? No, 28 was actually, like, I I pulled more out of it than I thought I would. I was actually surprised at how much came out of that chapter that I felt was worth recapping. And 29 is something that I feel like I had Oof. to really chip away at and just get to the you know yeah you did a really good job too because if this would have been me I didn't even (laughs) I purpose I know we kind of talked about doing this one together but then when I saw what you had done I was like I'm not gonna add to that I'll just muddle it and it'll be bad so I I I bow to your brilliance on this one thank Thank you you. (laughs) jump in jump in with anything thank Um, you so chapter 29 is called eyes without pity and Oof. Karen, again, is traveling with Elias and Egwene, and they mm-hmm. are now moving pretty fast, and mm-hmm. they are headed directly towards Camelin. Even yep. Bella is exhausted. Poor Bella. Um, Poor Bella. But Elias is now sensing danger. He can't explain mm-hmm. or rather won't explain exactly mm-hmm. what it is, but... They are in an area with these rolling hills, leaving them completely exposed to anyone mm-hmm. who can see them. And they're making this snake-like travel route going around these hills instead of going up them because mm-hmm. if they go up onto a hill, they will be exposed and anyone will be able to see them. And this, yep. again, is a very poignant observation by Elias. And again, Mm -hmm. this is like this predator-based observation. So I really like that. Um, Perrin and Elias are just kind of laying low beneath one of the peaks, and a very big flock of ravens bursts out. We know these are eyes from the Dark Ones, uh, from the Dark One, and Elias sends word to the wolves. Mm-hmm. To Perrin, this is a giant flock of ravens, but Elias mm-hmm. is like, oh, I've seen worse in the borderlands, and Perrin's <laughs> like, excuse me? Right? How, How is that even be- possible? Yeah, yeah. So 
Elias says that he knows a place of safety, but explains they're going to have to travel hard and fast and keep out of sight of the ravens. And Perrin is watching in horror as this flock of ravens attacks a fox and they peck its body bloody, killing it and eating all of the flesh within what feels like seconds. Right. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's icky. Uh, the group <laughs> makes a run for it, and mm-hmm. they are spotted by a raven, they think, but Egwene shoots it out of the air with a sling before Perrin even has a chance to get a rock. And Love it's like, you go, you go, Egwene. Yeah, she's like, I already got that. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> but it's cute because Perrin's like fumbling. You know, he's like looking for a rock. And as he's looking mm-hmm. for the rock, like the bird just falls. And he's just like, falls. Wait, what? How did, yep. how did that happen? And Egwene is kind of like, like sly, like it was nothing, you know? Yeah. Just a just a good old two rivers girl and her sling. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love it. But Perrin gets word through the wolf bond, and the wolves are now being attacked by the ravens. And the wolves mm-hmm. are scouting; they're not just right with our travelers. So mm-hmm. Perrin can taste feathers in his mouth and feel blood from the wolves being attacked and them, Mm -hmm. you know, snapping at the ravens. And the wolves don't even stop to lick their wounds. They are just running bloody to catch up. Mm -hmm. And Perrin senses where the ravens are through the wolves. Mm -hmm. And Egwene is like, wow, you really can talk to them. Mm Mm-hmm. So this, of course, shames Perrin, but Egwene, is, she's not making any sign of ridicule. She's just, I think, a little bit shocked or maybe excited for him. But possibly Perrin- a bit in awe. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, she had asked if there was a way to learn how to do this and was told no. So this is something special and Mm -hmm. unique. And we see how excited Egwene gets about stuff like that. So it's just too bad that Perrin doesn't see it that way. And I think it's more like a reflection of how he feels about Mm -hmm. it than how Egwene feels about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is followed by Perrin thinking that the ravens are catching up mm-hmm. and they are going to be killed by them. Mm-hmm. And he's very worried and he thinks a mercy killing would be better than letting the ravens do what they had done to the fox. Mm-hmm. I will bring this up in the spoiler section. Um, it's heavy, very yeah. heavy. Um, As Perrin is running, he meets kind of a tree line and the ravens just kind of veer off. And Mm -hmm. suddenly Perrin feels like he's been dunked in ice water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's less fatigued and Egwene feels as though she has lost something. Mm -hmm. Elias explains that they are in an Ogier setting. And Perrin still thinks the Ogier are something kind of like a fairy tale, despite mm-hmm. everything he has just experienced. <laughs> Ogier can't be real. Right? That makes no sense. Yeah. So Elias tells them that channelers cannot use the one power from within a setting and mm-hmm. that Shadow Spawn will not enter. So this is obviously why Egwene feels as though she has lost something. Elias makes a fire, and they eat their dried meat and make a tea around the fire, and the mood has lightened a little bit. 
Egwene notices a part of a rock that looks something like an eye. And Elias tells her, oh, that's the eye of Arthur Hawkwing, a remnant of the statue erected in his honor. And he kind Mm -hmm. of gives them a little history lesson on Hawkwing, how he wanted to build his, I think, capital city here Mm -hmm. in the middle of the Westlands where the steading was, uh, where this former steading was, where the one power mm-hmm. cannot be touched by channelers because Arthur Hawkwing hated the Aes Sedai so much. <laughs> and Big time. This, yeah, and the fall of the Empire and his death, mm-hmm. and we get this little side story about that. So that's kind of a nice little info dump there in an mm-hmm. already very meaty chapter. You summed it up beautifully. Thank Thank you. you. I do really appreciate this history of Archer Hawkwing because he has been mentioned several times and we've had little bits and pieces. And I think this pulls more into like the history and Mm -hmm. the creation of the Westlands as we know them or as we begin to know them. Mm -hmm. But the next chapter is chapter 30, Children of Shadow. Oof. I love this chapter and hate this chapter at the same time. It was so hard for me to stop. Yeah, same. I was like, put it down, Tracy, put it down. You're done with your four chapters for the week. It's almost like a ration. I'm on Wheel of Time rations. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's happening right Mm -hmm. now. So Perrin walks away from the fire to go sit by the little pool of water and ponder in his very Perrin-like way. So... Perrin's sitting there and he's holding his axe in his hands and his thought is, I hate it. And you can just feel through this just hatred for the fact that he's holding this weapon of violence and destruction. And Elias approaches Perrin and seems to read his mind about his intentions regarding Egwene. And he asks, you hate her that much? And Perrin defends his actions and Egwene. And I love how he says, I don't have any right to choose for her. Mm-hmm. And- so thoughtful of Perrin Mm -hmm. and that that became part of the consideration but Elias talks through these emotions with Perrin to let him know you know if he had an option that's what he would choose for himself and he Mm -hmm. thinks the queen would probably do the same thing and Perrin does ask Elias if he can read his mind too like the wolves and Elias doesn't really answer the question do we ever find out if like they can talk to each other or is it just the wolves to them they i don't believe that perrin and elias can they don't have like these telepathic thoughts that they can kind of like zing to each other okay but i think they are able to like use the wolves as a conduit kind of Mm -hmm. like they can talk to the wolves and the wolves can relay i feel like their thoughts to the other maybe well, and also, as you're saying that, like, we come across Perrin later, and maybe this should be safe for spoilers, but being able to smell other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I just didn't know yeah. if they actually were able to talk to each other or not. They talk about Perrin's hatred for his acts, and Elias advises that as long as he hates it, he will use it more wisely than mm-hmm. most. It's when a person begins to enjoy it, right? It's when the person begins to enjoy using their weapon that the real problems set in. That just makes sense. Yeah. That just makes sense. Mm-hmm. So 
Nice little, nice little conversation here. Their discussion is interrupted by ascending from the wolves. The urgency of their message propels Perrin and Elias back to the fire in Egwene. They quickly and somewhat comically put the fire out. Like, yeah, <laughs> juggling the hot tea pot kettle of thing. Tea. <laughs> I know you guys are in a hurry, but come on, why did you throw? Why did Elias throw the hot tea kettle at Perrin after burning himself on it? Just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, I love this chapter. I'm just a little nitpicky sometimes. It's fine. Elias tells Perrin and Gwen to go either east or west, hide, and he will find them. He's off to fight with the wolves if it's needed. Gwen has still not been told what's happening as they begin to seek their hiding spot. But once Perrin feels safe, he tells her there are a lot of men coming on horses. But Dapple says... Dapple says they smell wrong. It's sort of the way a rabid dog smells wrong. Oh, Dapple. Oof. So it couldn't be more true. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it is a perfect, perfect, perfect way to describe the humans that are heading their way. Mm-hmm. It's just perfect. But Egwene is rightfully freaked out. Mm-hmm. And her response is, we're supposed to be safe here. It's supposed to be safe. Light. There has to be someplace safe. And I feel for her because I'm sure parent feels the same way. Like, Every time they hit like this moment yeah. of respite, it's all chaos all the time. But they are able to find a hiding spot that turns out to actually be a hand. We'll shelter in Arthur Hawkwing's hand. Maybe some of his justice is left here. Or perhaps some of his hatred for women who could channel. Aguine hmm. um, asks Perrin how he can see anything, which makes Perrin realize that he can see in the dark. And that's weird. Mm-hmm. But we'll think about that later. There are shouts in the distance. One of the men has spotted wind. The men split up carrying torches and begin hunting for the wolves. So many of them and the wolves are all hurt. My heart is like in my throat at this point, like worried for these poor wolves. I got weepy twice in this chapter. Right? I will probably cry. Like, as we go forward in this chapter, I'm sure I will Warning. cry. Warning. Mm-hmm. Warning. I think this is a first for me. I don't know if I've cried in a recording before, but I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> going to happen. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just, I'm laughing because I might be doing the same. <laughs> so. It's totally fine. I did not think you were laughing at me. I, I laugh at everything, and sometimes it's inappropriate, and we both know it, so... Mm-hmm. I get it. So Perrin is wondering why the men are so persistent in their hunt, like, of their surroundings. Out of nowhere, Egwene asks Perrin if he will dance with her at Sunday. And he doesn't know if he's laughing or sobbing, but he says he will. He promises. And this This is where I cried. This is the one. This is the part one. (laughs) You can just picture Egwene, like, sitting there scared and Mm -hmm. being like, Perrin, will you dance with me at Sunday? And, like... I would laugh and cry, too. Really? This is also reminding me of when they are first meeting up with the Tinkers and she's just, you know, absolutely exhausted. And she had, like, her first night with them and seemed to be having a really great time. And then when she Mm -hmm. finds Perrin, Mm -hmm. she kind of, like, kisses him. I don't remember if it's on the cheek or whatever. And... Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people who read these books and thought that they were supposed to become a couple at one point. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was like some false, some foreshadowing that they mm-hmm. might become a couple. 
but I always saw it as just, you know, like a very like special bond, but nothing like sexual. I just always thought it was, you know, Mm -hmm. like almost like brotherly sister relationship, even if they're, they're not that at all, but I just Mm -hmm. feel like they're very close, but I didn't Mm -hmm. feel a, I didn't think it was romantic at all. Yeah. It felt platonic, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and Perrin even trying to define his friendship with Egwene to Elias mm-hmm. borders on that too because he's like she's I don't feel that way about her I love her she's like a sister but not like a sister like he mm-hmm. goes through those exact same things where he's like I don't really know how to define my relationship with her but it is special mm-hmm. um, and I, I actually really like that because so often in society we kind of look down on men and women being friends Mm -hmm. like it like it's difficult for men and women Mm -hmm. to be friends with each other without there being a sexual component to it and I feel that this really gives like an opportunity for that to happen and I like it so yeah thumbs up thumbs up Mm -hmm. but yes very sad this moment with a queen and parent and so the wolves having been spotted they have also decided to try to push the men away from the area wounded they were unable to run fast or far and are switching tactics uh the book says horses with men on their backs screamed too when gray shadows flashed out of the dark with hamstringing fangs and sometimes their riders screamed as well just before jaws tore out their throats oh the wolves are badasses Mm mm-hmm I just love them. Me too. Something about the wolves speaking and anytime the wolves say we come, I'm just like, goosebumps. Like my hair is standing up right now. I can feel it on my arms. Yeah, it's just, (laughs) um, it's something about they are just pure emotion. And even if, you know, you can't, understand exactly what they mean they will find a way to describe what they're feeling even Mm -hmm. if it's just one word you know like Mm -hmm. anger fire Mm -hmm. fear and it's such yeah and it's such a really impressive way to write Mm -hmm. a group of I mean they're not really main characters but we've they've become almost human in their thoughts and their emotions and whatnot and yeah and how we can connect with them I love that and of course I think about my dog because I mean not that my dog is as large as a wolf or anything (laughs) but he is a shepherd blend and he's about 60 pounds and I just think about the way that he runs like he Mm -hmm. the way that his ears go back and he's so intense about it and he's a very docile creature but I wouldn't want to get between his teeth and something else no Mm -mm. it's happened often when I'm like playing tug of war with him and he accidentally like clamps his hand or his mouth on my hand and I'm like "Ah!" what's that don't like don't like a wolf's jaw have so many like so much like pressure per Mm -hmm whatever it is like they they can crunch bones okay like that's what they do they're terrifying and stealthy and beautiful (laughs) i would i would curl up with the wolf if they would let me that's why churro's a good churro's my replacement wolf i can't have real wolf i'll have a quasi quasi Mm -hmm. wolf so i think i think that's also one of the reasons why i feel for the wolves as much as i do is that i really love canines in general but perrin realizes that the men are following a pattern and they are going to be discovered and before he can choose what to do they are discovered and 
I, I pulled a lot from the book in this particular one. One, because my brain is foggy. Two, because I am not Robert Jordan, and he does such a good job in this chapter. So mm-hmm. it says, The horseman drew up at the foot of the hill, each man holding a torch in one hand and a long lance in the other, guiding his horse by the pressure of his knees. And this, like, the thought that I had behind this is that they are well-trained and well-equipped. Mm-hmm. Like, I hadn't really thought about those things before, but like the more I've studied like medieval history and it is very weaponry, hard to ride a horse without your hands. Like, right, <laughs> it is not easy. <laughs> but they're doing it while carrying a lance and, and a, a torch. torch. Yeah, and they're and expecting wearing, to fight. And they're probably wearing some type of heavy articles mm-hmm. of clothing as well. I mean, at the very least, do they have their conical helmets on? I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> you mean their airbags? <laughs> I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Branded by the white cloaks. Sorry. When you look at it, too, this is a really great opportunity to explain how well the white cloaks are set up. Because for Mm -hmm, one, mm -hmm. horses are expensive. Mm -hmm. For two, horses are hard to train. So to have Mm -hmm. that many horses and that many well-trained horses... I mean, look how hard it was just for our Emmons fielders to make it out of Mm -hmm. their city all with a horse that they are able to ride long distance on. Poor Mm -hmm. Bella is like a plow (laughs) horse. Do you know what I'm saying? So the White Cloaks, they have money. They have Mm -hmm. training. Mm -hmm. They have a um, a very good opportunity to... I don't okay, I don't want to give too much away here. Shoot. Dang it. Um, they have they have the fear factor. Yeah. And they and they hone it as sharp as they can. Mm-hmm. Like train as much as you can, brainwash as much as you can. Yeah. Like and I mean child buyer is a perfect example of all Fucking of those child things. Child buyer. I mean Dane <sighs> Dane Bor- that day. <laughs> excuse me dane bornhold is bad on his own but Mm -hmm. child child buyer he's a he is a piece of work yeah and going back to what dapple had said they smell rabid i mean Mm -hmm. they are they are fanatics they are exactly crazed fanatics yep so Mm -hmm. yeah and i i love that so it's the children of the light it's fucking white cloaks. Perry and Aguin choose to surrender rather than try to run. I feel like this is a smart choice on their part. Mm-hmm. Perrin is still trying to figure out why the white cloaks are so persistent as if they hate the wolves with a passion. And he also brings up again, why do they smell wrong? Perrin thinks he can almost smell the wrongness himself, but tells himself it's his imagination. They're still being threatened by the men on horses when Perrin yells, No! But not at the soldiers. Okay, I'm going to read this and it's Mm. long. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure because it's a a very long quote, but I absolutely, absolutely love this. Out of the night, Hopper came and Perrin was one with the wolf. Hopper, the cub who had watched the eagles soar and wanted so badly to fly through the sky as the eagles did. The cub who hopped and jumped and leaped until he could leap higher than any other wolf and who never lost the cub's yearning to soar through the sky. 
Out of the night, Hopper came and left the ground in a leap, soaring like the eagles. Hopper landed lightly, already apart from the man he had killed. A gash down his face crossed the empty socket where his left eye had been. His good eye met parents, too, for just an instant. Run, brother! He whirled to leap again to soar one last time. <laughs> I'm there with you. <laughs> Sorry, this is hard. No, it's okay. It's yeah. so hard. But that's one of the reasons why I feel like it needs to be read. And a lance pinned him to the earth. A second length of steel thrust through his ribs, driving him into the ground under him. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be. I'm like, uh, I'm wiping my eyes. Right? Kicking, he snapped at the shafts and held him to soar. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I cried. Like, I don't know how many times I have read this chapter and I cry every single time, every time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is very much like what makes Robert Jordan so fucking brilliant is mm-hmm. that this we've barely touched on Hopper. We right. know just a few things about Hopper as a wolf. He's there to support Dapple. Like he's older and a little grizzled. But in this moment, something we get him from youth to adult yeah. to defender to death something about this little moment brings me back to like a children's book or do you know like the lion king where you know his father uh the dad lion dies when the lion king dies um so (laughs) so like it's it's almost something from like an innate like very young age where we are Mm -hmm. able to connect with these creatures that we share space with on this Mm -hmm. earth. And um, there's something about seeing, you know, a little like wolf puppy where your heart just goes out to this little, you know, can you see him like trying to jump up real high and playing with butterflies and chasing insects and being mischievous and curious. And then you bring him all the way up to today and he's an adult and he's just trying to make sure that Perrin can be safe and he loses his life for it. And it's like, Jesus Christ, like, you're killing me, Robert Jordan. You're killing me. This is intense. Then to throw in the fact that, like, he's already lost an eye in this battle, you know? Like, he faces faces Perrin with a lost eye and says, run, brother. And I love that. that And he calls him brother. Yes! So painful, so glorious. Like it's just it's what makes this this series stick so hard to my heart mm-hmm. is that you can feel this way about characters within the series. And even non-human characters exactly. for crying out loud. Yeah. Like characters we've barely interacted with. You know, like I didn't I didn't cry when Tom died, but I cried when Hopper mm-hmm. died. Like oh, had yeah. to set my book yeah. aside sniffle cry exactly mm-hmm. what you just heard me do like but for tom i was like oh that sucks, sucks. <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. he's not dead question mark you know like but with this it's like you see him die Pierce. you experience yeah. him die it wasn't an i'm doing the air quotes it wasn't like an off-screen death exactly you know? it was an in-your-face holy fuck death scene and it was mm-hmm. just and even like that connection of hopper to parent and that 
like very last moment is just so heart-wrenching it's so good I just love it I, so I I am very curious to see how the TV show approaches mm. this aspect we know at one point they wanted them to be bears they wanted parents <laughs> to be no <laughs> you laugh <laughs> it's true they wanted to have a bear brother not a wolf brother I don't. You would have to ask them, but one of the consultants—they're keeping the wolves, right? They're keeping yeah, they're, the wolves. yeah. There's wolves. Oh, one of the consultants God. was like, uh, put their foot down and was like, I no. I can understand though, from the perspective of someone who doesn't have a strong attachment to the series, right? And was yeah. like. Yeah, like, well, like, Game of Thrones already did the wolves. Maybe, like, mm-hmm. we should do, like, bears, anyone? You need all, yeah. like, lions? Like, what? you know, who knows? Yeah, but yeah. if you read this book and you're a fan of these books, this is just, you know, like, a stake through the heart. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And there's, I think, just such a strong attachment to the wolves within mm-hmm. this series. Oh, my God, yeah. They're, I just, I don't get the same feeling of... We come from bears, bears as I do from wolves. <laughs> have you seen a bear run? I mean, it well, does look scary, but it doesn't have that sleek, dangerous, predatory yes. feel that a wolf has. And like you you had said earlier about, you know, like your connection with your own dog. This mm-hmm. is something that makes wolves so interesting to us as humans is we have a connection with canines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We evolved to where we are in life with dogs by our mm-hmm. sides for so because many. Because they're awesome. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's true. So like yeah. we don't have, there isn't that connection with bears. You don't. No. I mean, maybe if you're living in Siberia and you go wrestle around or something, I don't know. But this is, it's not the same. It's not the same. No. Oh, my God. I had no idea. That is so funny. No, because I that is exactly like what gets me like that moment where it's like um, Hopper is snapping at like the the shafts that have him pinned to the ground. Like, God. I think about my dog and his big giant head and his big giant teeth and like trying to get something that's pinning him down and just there's no choice. There's no chance. There's no chance. He doesn't have arms to help him in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like death is imminent and you just kind of have to ride it out and cry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At least that's how we deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... I am totally with Perrin in his response. In the book, it says that he attacks the axe with a feather in his hands, but he was also terribly outnumbered, and he ends up being knocked out. And Perrin wakes in a tent in pain and bound hand and foot. Egwene is there also tied up in the same way. She shrugs ruefully, of course. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. I, I could have maybe tried to get away, but... Here we both are. Here we are. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And one other person is in the tent with them, and he sits on the only chair in the tent and is described as having a grandfatherly face, but he's also wearing the bright white cloak of the Children of the Light. Enter scary as fuck child buyer. This guy... (laughs) Oof, this guy. 
So he gives a tally of the damages from this encounter. Nine men dead, 23 injured, seven seriously, 30 horses needed to be put down due to injuries. And that does suck. Like, he actually mm-hmm. sounds more upset about the horses than he does about the dead men. And I almost feel the yeah. same way. You know, like, fuck, that's a lot of horses. So they're probably this, more expensive to, right? you know. Than to take care of a soldier. Yeah. You know? A war trained horse is not an easy I'm, thing or cheap. Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean so. I I am no you know, medieval accountant. <laughs> I don't know exactly, but it seems for the size of a horse, like yeah. it's a lot and of And you have food. to feed it and care for it and have saddles for them and it's like a lot the of whole leather. face. It's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot of leather. So this super sucks because they need to get to Camelin, quote unquote, in time. But they don't really say what this in time is for. Byer also mentions that the wolf that attacked them has been skinned and the hide should make a fine rug for my lord captain's tent. Fuck you, child buyer. Yes. Yeah, I wrote. We are not emoji. supposed to like this guy at all. I think we are supposed mm-hmm. to have a seething hate- hatred for this man from the second he shows up. And I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. <laughs> this. Okay. So. Parent does not react well to this, understandably, but of course he really can't do a whole lot because he's tied up. He notices that even though. Um, what's his face? The Lord Captain Commander Bornhold, I believe, that he looks like a grandfather, but he is still a child of the light and kind of a dick. Yeah. Bayer estimates <laughs> Bayer goes all liar, liar, pants on fire, telling the <laughs> Lord Captain. <laughs> this is literally in my notes. I wrote fucking liar <laughs> right here. Yep. Yep, that they estimated the wolf pack at 50. They killed perhaps 20, maybe 30, but they didn't think it worth their time to bring all the corpses back. He also says that there were at least a dozen men and they killed four or five. So Elias can multiply at will, apparently. (laughs) So Perrin can sense no wolves close by and thinks that they are either dead or they abandoned him. And this is the definition Mm -hmm. of cruel irony. Bornhold tells Bayer he's wrong. He tries to use wordplay to figure out what Perrin and Egwene were doing there. They tell a version of the truth, but at the end of the conversation, Bornhold is still pretty sure they are dark friends. Bayer definitely believes they are dark friends. And while Egwene may be able to go for Perrin, the Lord Captain says, for you, I fear a gibbet waits in Amador. So Perrin has just received a death sentence mm-hmm. at the age of 18. So something I do want to point out is Please. when Perrin and Egwene are giving their story, mm-hmm. I'm reading it and I'm thinking, okay, like that's pretty good. Like they did mm-hmm. pretty good on the fly there. Like they mm-hmm. might they might be going somewhere with this. Yeah, yeah. And then the way that Bornhold is able to turn it around and piece out little bits of information that wasn't given, yep. you can tell he has been doing this for a fuck long of a time. time. And he is a professional because he is able to get out out of things that they leave out, he's mm-hmm. able to make an assessment and he's correct. I mean, mm-hmm. he called them on the lie. And yeah. so, I mean, it sucks. He's a terrible person, but mm-hmm. it's worth they, mentioning. 
Yeah, and they already pretty much define anyone they encounter as a dark friend. Mm-hmm. Like it's in in assessing the children of the light, which we have done in a full episode. It seems as though there are two groups of people: children of the light and dark friends. <laughs> yeah, there is no in between. Yeah, and so for the the wolves to feel as though they were they smelled rabid, like mm-hmm. that zeal for what they do, that is basically child buyer is the embodiment of all the things that are bad and wrong with the children of the Mm -hmm. light which is actually really nice of jordan to give us such a clear definition of how bad things can get yeah (laughs) yeah he's Um, well trained with weapons he's high enough to be able to talk to the lord captain commander whoever the fuck this guy is mm -hmm. like and he is fucking crazy He's fucking crazy. But that's that's Agreed. the end of chapter 30. So heavy. These chapters were heavy. really heavy. And mm-hmm. at the same time, this did not in any way turn me off from the series. It just had me burning to keep reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it's mm-hmm. really interesting because this is after this chapter, I had a really hard time putting the book down. Me and too. Even though it's these characters that are completely Hateable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not any person like Bornholder buyer where I'm like, oh, I need to learn more about this guy. I'm like hate mm-hmm. reading. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same. Yeah. I and I love that. I love that mm-hmm. there are characters to feed hatred into and characters to feed hope into and characters to be surprised by. Like, I would not if you would have told me that I would straight up ball reading a scene where a wolf died. I would have mm-hmm. been like, yeah, right. Like, I and do cry a, a lot. I a admit wolf. it. It's a, it's a character that we just have yeah. met. Like, yeah. he's, this is the first time I think he's ever spoken. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This, within, within a character, a animal being introduced mm-hmm. within um, minutes, you're crying. Like, yep. that's it. Yep. Like, reading the next few, pa- like, lines, just tears. Mm-hmm. reaching for tissues and I love that like I want to feel the whole range of emotions I want to get invested in something and I think it's one of the things that I appreciate is that this series sees you all the way through you know yeah. like I mm-hmm. still am like George R. R. Martin when's your next book coming out because you have fans <laughs> that are waiting for that yeah. and I mean Jordan even had it planned out that if he died while writing the series someone else would finish it for him good on ya you and- know Yeah, and I can imagine waiting if I had picked up the series when it first came out, Mm -hmm. Robert Jordan dies, waiting, Mm -hmm. and then knowing that someone else is going to finish, I would have had reservations. I did. 100%. This Hopper moment brings me to the scene that Brandon Sanderson wrote with Andral. Um... This is a spoiler. <laughs> We're going to go on our break and then I'll continue That's a talking good idea. about this. What I was saying, since mm-hmm. now we're at the spoiler heavy mm-hmm. section, this death scene with Hopper had this really emotional pull to it mm-hmm. where I'm almost a little bit hesitant to see if this is one of the things the show is going to explore or not because it's just done so well in the books and I don't know how mm-hmm. how you're going to do something like a telepathic conversation mm-hmm. on screen but 
I love that Robert Jordan gives us this. And I really love that when Brandon Sanderson picks up the books, he gives us this moment between Andrel and Pavara mm. where Andrel is channeling through a circle. And this is his big miracle moment where he's making lava pour through gateways. <laughs> and his pure shock at feeling what Sidar feels like compared to Sidine breaks mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, this is what it feels like to be one of you. Mm -hmm. And then he's so drained after all the channeling that like Pivara kind of like holds him as he's like going down to the ground. Like she mm -hmm. kind of like softens his fall. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of these like quick moments that gets you and it mm -hmm. gets you fast and yep. for anyone who did have like reservations about Brandon Sanderson I think he really I think we have a lot to be thankful for <laughs> I agree I thought he finished the series really well I was more or less satisfied there's always yeah. gonna be gripes about how something turns out I have plenty of issues with some of the things that Jordan wrote there's, but I love yeah, the way that we the can, series wrapped up we can pick tons of things apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just human nature. We can do that. But I think yep. it's so fun to focus on these little gut-wrenching mm -hmm. moments where you're just like, what did I just read? How can something mm -hmm. make me feel this way? So In such a short period of time. It's just yeah. fucking brilliant. It's mm -hmm. fucking brilliant. And you're right. It does show up throughout... Jordan's writing, he's very good at bringing about quick emotion yeah. in, in, re God, I keep hitting my mic today. Stop that, me. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Something that I wanted to kind of pull in mm -hmm. was from um, chapter 27, Shelter of the Storm. Perrin is in the midst of this moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. And I think this is... He feels like such an old soul to be mm -hmm. having these thoughts uh -huh. and ideas. And he's kind of coming at it from the stance of defend the oppressed and fight the oppressor stance. Yeah. He's trying to explain to the Tuatha'an that, you know, the shadow spawn will come to kill you and your mm -hmm. babies and everyone you love. And you just you're just going to let them. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, what are you going to do? And then mm -hmm. the tinkers are coming it from the stance of it's never morally acceptable to use violence against others ever, mm -hmm. period. Punk. Yep. Like, that's it. So yep. we are having this almost philosophy debate between a group's spiritual leader and a young mm -hmm. kid. And yeah. I think that is really showing a lot of where Perrin's journey is directed. Mm -hmm. I like in this conversation that it also gets pointed out that violence harms the person who inflicts the violence as much mm -hmm. as it harms the person who is the recipient of the violence, yeah, and for this lack is... of a better way of, of phrasing it at the moment. Like, he talks about how, like, if you chop down a tree, it's going to 
dull, dull blade. Your blade. Yeah, and so like even though the axe is what's harming the tree, the tree is doing damage back. And mm-hmm. I really think that throughout history, it's wars and tyranny and oppression, and we don't necessarily think about how that has to have affected generations upon generations upon generations of people who have had to live through that violence like yeah it's not just the battlefield where everything goes down it's all of mm-hmm. the the ripples that come yeah. out from it and, and i think is... the tuathon really highlight that in that discussion yeah yep. this is just like an age-old question i mean for sure there's there's definitely pieces from each that I wholeheartedly can agree with both. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if the people had, had fought against the Nazis mm-hmm. and not stepped aside, maybe mm-hmm. things wouldn't have happened the way they did, mm-hmm. where there is always that, you know, need to fight oppression. But at the same time, what can you do when violence is the only option left Mm -hmm. and it's just it's one of those mind-bending um conversations that you could go into hours and hours and hours about Mm -hmm. and I love that Perrin is given this moral dilemma and he's Mm -hmm. going to be battling it for such a long time well and I feel it's actually very well reflected in I'm not dogging on America. I'm American. But I feel as though it does really like flow into our conversation around gun violence in America right now. Well, yeah. I mean, Robert Jordan was what in the Korean War? Like at that mm. time, how many people were, you know, demonstrating against the war? This is this is yeah. probably something that he is very familiar with, was very familiar mm-hmm. with. So Yeah. And it sounds like he, he was open to hearing both sides yeah. of the situation. You know, mm-hmm. the side for peace and the side yes. for yes. enforcing. He's, yeah, and he's not giving us his opinion. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he is saying, like, these are two sides and mm-hmm. both are valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that because, again, gives you something to think about. Yeah. I love that. Next with the Tinkers, Aram, again, getting major red flags this chapter. Um, oh, Aram. I yeah. just, it's we, so weird how I actually just feel for him in these moments instead of, like, I just, what's I wrong feel like he you? gets, yeah, I feel <laughs> like he gets, he's malleable. Mm-hmm. Like, to whoever gets an opportunity to, like, dig into his brain he can be bent a certain way. Like, he gets bent away from the way of the leaf by the Trollocs attacking Mm -hmm. his family. And granted, I definitely would have had my reservations at the same time as well. So it's not like it was an easy switch for him, but it was a massive one that he makes there. And then to go from being Perrin's ardent supporter to being flipped by uh, Masima to try to execute Perrin. Like, Mm -hmm. he's not a flip-flopper, but he does feel what he feels to an extreme and makes a shift in that direction. So... Mm -hmm. A little bit of an extremist there, bud. Just a bit, yeah. 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 Um, And, too, I mean, what does it say for a person when their own grandmother is, like... Like, a little worried about that. Yeah, visibly worried about his relationship with Egwene. And I really want to know, like, what that was supposed to mean. What, you know? 
Because well, at I first she's kind it. of like smiling and happy that they're going yes. off together. And then yep. she's reserved about the situation. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think it's that she sees Aram's intention towards Egwene. Like it's kind of like Perrin talks about how Aram looks at Egwene and Ooh. it feels uncomfortable. Ooh. Or he's Ooh. just kind of like one of those persons where he becomes obsessive. You know Ooh, what I yeah. mean? Like he's yes, because he, and it's I mean Egwene, that and then sense, it goes to Karen, and then it goes mm-hmm. to Masima. Masima, maybe that's mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. Like he has an obsessive personality yeah. type, mm-hmm. and just digs in really deep to like what he chooses to put himself into. Because yeah. I mean, it's a matter of days. He's with Egwene, and he's like, "You should stay here," and she's like, "I don't think so." Yeah. Which. Good job, yeah. Egwene. Like something to remember. She's sixteen. Mm-hmm. She is 16 mm-hmm. years old. She could so easily have been like, of course, this yeah. has been so fun. Like, and Let's instead get she's married. like, mm, yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, um, someone told me I can become an Aes Sedai, and that sounds way better. <laughs> sounds so. like a lot more fun. So peace. <laughs> peace out. <laughs> yeah. See you later, buddy. Thanks for the beads. <laughs> Something, okay, since we're talking about the Tuathan. I almost mm-hmm. feel like there is this facade to them mm-hmm. when Elias compares them to deer. He says, like, half-tamed deer still, like, warily, like, almost spooked. You know what I mean? Like, any mm-hmm. sudden movement could, like, send them. Yeah, flying. Yeah. And again, I love that we are again having Elias looking through this like lens of a predator mm-hmm. and comparing them to prey, which they absolutely are in this instance. But it's mm-hmm. also kind of it makes you really want to get into the like the psyche of the Tuatha'an because they do seem mm-hmm. like they are so happy. But are they really Mm-hmm. this happy I mean is it yeah. is it any of it an act or mm-hmm. I don't know I mean is there like a brainwashing involved right from like childhood into adulthood mm-hmm. because I know for me and again I'm not bashing on religion I was raised Lutheran from the moment I was born baptized all the way through confirmation everything right I knew no other way of thought than that of being a Christian. Right. And when you become older and you start looking at other things. 14 go, years of Catholic school. Like, I feel right. you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, there's as much as we might think of it as religion and it's the right thing to pass along in our family and it's for their good that we teach us or whatever. Is it? You know, do you give someone the choice when you are indoctrinating them from their birth onwards Mm -hmm. so like maybe yes the way of the leaf is something that sticks with them because this is all they know and i mean they don't go into cities because cities won't let them in there so i don't know they already have a a, like a pretty heavy prejudice against them exactly we are learning definitely shows it yeah we are learning that it's hard to resist this um happy community like we we dance every night yeah like but we wear bright clothes and have cool wagon houses right 
Right. But the thing but the thing is, in this time and place, when the world kind of appears to be burning, mm-hmm. they're all well fed and they're all relatively happy. So it's yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've found like their little I mean, they do feel as though they could be very resilient to a collapse in normal society. Mm-hmm. Like, they already live on the move, so they're nomadic. They can move right. to where they need to be to be able to get food very and resources adaptable. and whatnot. Exactly. So, and I think the other thing to remember is who they are descended from. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think about that a lot because it's such, like, we, do, we don't find out about it until so much later on. And there's still, in my opinion, just not enough information about the descendant of the Tuathan. Damn it. <laughs> um, the Tuathan and the... Jen Ayil. Jen? Jen Ayil. Yeah. I love that connection. I'm sure, I'm sure we have had friends, podcasters, who have talked about the Jen Ayil. I don't think we have yet. Not now. But yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, but I I love that. I love that. Another thing when they when Perrin and company get to the old setting, mm-hmm. we learn that Shadow Swan can't enter a setting. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that there is this strange overlap of places that certain people and certain creatures can't cross into, like mm-hmm. like some of the Shadow Swan can't do gateways. Gateways. They can't do they they have to be forced into a setting. We don't actually see what happens if one enters oh, a setting. I'm just thinking about like the idea of the Murdral being connected in some way to Sadine. Right. Like would they somehow unravel if they walked into right. a Right. That's setting? what I wrote. I was like Okay, what did I write here? Cut off from the one power. Since most shadow spawn are made with the one power, does it just snap them out of existence? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is just, it's weird. Um, yeah, and I mean, also, like, if if ravens were to fly in there, would their little minds break? Right, right. And they would just, like, fall dead. And so they know instinctively not to enter there because it means death for them. right. It's interesting. How oh, very interesting. Huh. You on your one of the things you had on here was Elias wanting to stay with the caravan magic or instinct. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually brought that in later on. Yeah. Um so can is it Go okay if it. we just scoot that yeah. to well and actually I skipped it, so Okay, cool. <laughs> I skipped it on purpose. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. I didn't want to like miss talking about it because I think it's a really good question. And I think, yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment. Footprints and air? Yeah, footprints yeah. and air. Uh, the sensitivity of Nynaeus when it comes to what other people think of her. This is just a portion of her journey that I really love. And that by the end of the series, she is throwing her arms around Moraine, weeping in front of the most powerful people in the world. And she doesn't care. And if she does, it doesn't stop mm-hmm. her. And I love that because I feel really connected to that experience. Yeah. Like I just, I do still kind of apologize for crying. I did it earlier today because it just sometimes doesn't feel like it belongs there. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to apologize for being emotional about something. Like... I'm thankful to feel deeply. And yeah. I love that Nynaeve accepts that portion of her and that in Relatable. so many ways. Exactly. <laughs> it's her power. It's her power to mm-hmm. feel and connect that makes Nynaeve 
super magical. It's her superpower, but it's also like her block. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it's her biggest, mm-hmm. her biggest, da- her yeah, her biggest downfall. Mm-hmm. This is obviously, I mean, I think her block also comes from the fact that deep down she feels very strongly that the one power is kind of a filthy thing. And she's yeah. been kind of brought up in a place where that's kind of a common mm-hmm. uh, thought. She can't channel unless she's ready to pull her hair out. Mm-hmm. And it's it's unhealthy for her. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. sad. But mm-hmm. this is just when you're thinking about what she's heard about women that come from the White Tower, channelers, Mm -hmm. and her are already prejudiced against Moraine. She's got the deck stacked up against her as far as this whole block goes. But man, when she deals with it... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's there's so no, yeah there's nothing she can't do so it's so true and i think that's i just love that about Nynaeve because it can be really difficult to embrace the fact that you as an individual are powerful mm-hmm. like it's not i don't know if it's something that everyone gets to experience i hope it is that in some way you feel as though you are empowered to make a change. Mm-hmm. And Nynaeve senses what she can do with the power and she tries so hard not to think about it. Like she's like, what kind of wisdom could I be if I could channel the one power? And yeah. then she's like, but I can. And that's the work of the dark one. And she tries to like push away what she can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just grateful for the journey that she takes, that it's not like this instantaneous flip like it is with a queen. Like Nynaeve drags her feet for so yeah. long to accept who she is. And I think that's why both characters are so beloved. Because mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Egwene, it's like, I am that bitch. Like, I am mm-hmm. that powerful one. <laughs> and I will do what I want. I'll, you know, mm-hmm. I don't care. I am putting myself First, where mm-hmm. Nynaeve on the other spectrum is like she is worried about everyone's Everyone. own, you know, problems at the detriment to herself. So mm-hmm. it's just, ugh. but I mean, that's that's why they're so great. And mm-hmm. I mean, I have I have been very critical of Egwene in the past, but I I don't hate her. I don't mm-hmm. like she's a wonderful character. Mm-hmm. I mean. Even there are even characters in this book. We were talking, how long did we just talk about Bayer where he sucks, <laughs> but you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. these are yeah. all such amazing characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, there are people who love the White Cloaks even. There are people that love the Forsaken, you know? I actually understand that a little more than the White Cloak thing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a give me a choice between Lanfear and Buyer, and it's I would Lanfear. definitely go for Lanfear. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Coffee with Lanfear or Buyer. See, and La- Lanfear is even one of these characters. Like, she is <laughs> like evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But legit. something speaks to people. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it's her confidence it. yeah. and her arrogance, and yeah. really like. <laughs> She does, she isn't necessary. So as far as no, let's not get on a land for your tangent. It's going to happen. I'm going to stop. <laughs> She's one of my favorites. Let's talk about footprints and air some more. Okay. Um, so 
I don't think it's accurate when Moraine says you can do nothing with the one power when emotion rules your mind. And I know we just like spent a whole bunch of time talking about emotion and naive, but that's the only way she can channel right. is when she is filled with rage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't feel like I feel like we're given this little I mean, it doesn't show up quite yet that she can only channel when she's angry. But there is just this little insert, I feel as though like this is the White Tower standard. This is how Nynaeve is going to break it. Right. And that's so that's that's her superpower. Like it is to me is coming in and seeing an institution that is not set up to be what it could be. Mm -hmm. And. Nynaeve and Egwene are just such amazing characters to bounce, Mm -hmm. you know, their characteristics back and forth between the two because they almost accomplish the same thing. Mm -hmm. Egwene changes the White Tower for Mm -hmm. the better, 100%. Mm -hmm. But Nynaeve is able to do it in her own way that is just like, oh, you don't want me? Okay, well, (laughs) do you think that you're making the right choices right now, like with how you have things set up. And like Mm -hmm. all Nynaeve had to do was say a couple words and then Mm -hmm. they were like, oh. But Egwene is like, um, with the help of Varen and some other, you know, very powerful woman that I've met and been influenced by on this incredible journey, I am Mm -hmm. chopping heads off of every black (laughs) Aja sister that I can find. We are bringing in the kin. We are bringing in all of these Mm -hmm. new channelers, and we are straightening things out. And what an incredible journey it is. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that for her it was the the connected let's learn from each other because that's what a green does through the whole series is she learns from each group that she's around i mean elaine even touches on it when she's on the ship with the sea folk and she practices with the uh wind finders exactly so i mean i love that there's this touch of what has been institutionalized versus what has escaped escaped the noticed of that particular institution. Well And really put. how those different... Well put. Th- th- thank you. Thank you. But I like how each each group looks at channeling a different way. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it doesn't have to just be the way that the White Tower does it. And it makes me really thankful when we get to that point and we find women who can channel in so many different places. And they're like, we do this thing to make it seem like the White Tower has all of our channelers. And the Aiel are like, no, we don't do even that. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. We don't even use our hands. <laughs> exactly. We think you are ridiculous, by the way. You so, are yeah, ridiculous. I, <laughs> I love that. Nynaeve is the embodiment of emotion and power. And I just, I love that. This is what I was going to talk about that you had mentioned and now is also down here. When Elias is having them slowly travel with Tuathon, is this a dr- like this is a drag more than it seems. Perrin, Ran, and Matt are connected into Viren, and they are not together right now. When Moraine makes the decision she does to go after the boy she knows the location of, this is more happenstance for what happens later. Imprisonment by the White Cloaks and the plan to free them. That comes later. So... You mean like when Perrin is like, we need to go, we need to go. Is this mm-hmm. like his Taviran pull? Like, got to get to Rand. Got to get to Rand. <laughs> right. But is it also like him trying to get to it, but the pattern saying not yet? Because everybody needs to kind of join up at the right moment. 
Okay. But at the same time, like if that was the case, then why were they in the right place at the right time to get caught by white cloaks in the first place? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that actually just falls apart. Anyway, I do feel as though it's, it's not a about pull. the destination. About the journey, <laughs> it's about the journey. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, yeah, okay. Hmm. All right. Anyway, plot armor versus Taviran. I don't really think we've talked very much about Taviran yet in <laughs> Eye of the World, and we've done a whole episode on it. So, but what I appreciate about it is that the use of it that Jordan has allows us to maintain our like the believability of the mm-hmm. story of the like, plot armor itself. Yeah, exactly. Like he's already built a device into the narrative mm-hmm. that explains all the ridiculous things that you would scratch your head over and be like, I don't really know if I believe this right. anymore. Isn't or that convenient? Isn't yeah. that convenient? Mm-hmm. But you have this thing where you can be like, Oh, it's Tavir and it just makes sense. That's and I, the superpower. I, <laughs> yeah. <that's> it. <laughs> I like it. It smooths out that, that part of me that fights against the moment that has just happened. And I can keep reading instead of being like, well, wait, what? Mm-hmm. What just happened? So appreciation for that. We kind of touched on this a little bit. How is Maureen able to feel the boys and their fear trail? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I asked, instead of compulsion light, is it bonding light? Right. It How almost does feels, she know? Yeah. It almost feels like it's like this weird like tracking, like, like echolocation. Like yes. she just puts her hand up in the air and yes. kind of like waves it around and is like, mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. something. <laughs> or she's in a parade. Yeah. <laughs> I almost wonder if Robert Jordan hadn't completely thought out Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. how he was going to make the Aes Sedai's, you know, weaving abilities. And I think maybe he had a little bit of an idea where he was going to go with it. And this was kind of like testing the waters Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I mean, he probably also wasn't considering that like hundreds to thousands of people would like start pouring through right. his work being like, what do you think he meant here? Yeah. You know, like, there's got to be like, a bigger meaning behind this one exactly. sentence that yeah. and I will do that, too. I'll be like, I think there's a theory here. I think Me too. that if I look at this for an hour, <laughs> something will come to me. <laughs> I will be one with Robert Jordan. Mm-hmm. He probably His used to get spirit. so annoyed when people were waiting for new books. Like, I think that this character is a secret dark friend, and mm-hmm. he's probably just like, ugh, God. Do you think he, like, stayed away from, like, any kind of, like, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. what I, anyway. I wonder if he was, you know, like, flattered or just, like, not again. <laughs> I think if I were him, I would be so excited. You know, like if you if you somehow write these this massive series it's in your head all the time. If it were me, I would just be like, no. <laughs> you know, like can you see me like getting close, getting close to the microphone and being like, uh, no. <laughs> like. <laughs> The microphone whole, gets a little screechy, you know, like, yeah, you know. your entire conversation with everyone is monosyllabic. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Corbin Dallas in the nothing. fifth element when Ruby Rod is like, Corbin, my man, 
give the people a word. He's trying to get him to talk on the microphone, and he's like, no. Yeah, I love <laughs> or that whatever. Part. That movie I forget is so what he good. says. Doesn't matter. That mm-hmm. whole, you're right. It captures that mood entirely. Um, or of The Witcher, which we had talked about earlier, too. Oof. Getting my beer, having a drink, and then we're out. Um, yeah, just gravelly, gravelly talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the last thing on that one was just that the villagers, villagers at Whitebridge feel off their refusal to say what really happened leading into the White Cloaks chapter. So, like, did no you write this really... or did I? I swear I where? wrote this. The villagers? Mm hmm. Wait, where are we? Sometimes it's <laughs> I don't to even tell. see where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 28, spoilers number five. Oh, yeah, I did write this. Okay, cool. This is what happens. Twin brain. Like, I, yeah. No, this is how scared are they mm-hmm. that anyone might think they're talking about a shadow spawn attack. And then right after that, we get the introduction of the White Cloaks who mm-hmm. are just salivating, looking for the chance mm-hmm. To find anyone that has any connection to anything mm-hmm. dark one related and Even are the ready tiniest to kill tent. Yeah. Yeah. If they showed up at Whitebridge right now. Oh like, my God. They'd be hanging everyone. White, yep. All of Whitebridge. Gone. Yep. Dead. Oh my God. You're right. So like perfectly just right in that order you know you know what though that makes me think of something too why are the white cloaks traveling in such an abandoned area why aren't they on the same path to camelin as any normal group of people would be or is this like their way out in the wilderness yeah is this their way of moving their military without being noticed because it's a large group of men it doesn't ever really say how many but large enough to be intimidating and moving that many men through this area of land that we've had described as like being kind of hilly and yeah yeah like why because why? they're why I are mean, they out there Perrin and them have been like cutting th- <laughs> excuse me i'm yawning cutting through a You're forest totally mm-hmm uh, went way, way out of the way to get to Camelin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what the hell are the White Cloaks doing out there? My right. o- my only guess is the world is being torn apart right now and ravaged by all different types of things and the White Cloaks mm-hmm. are just running wild with it. This is prime <laughs> pickings for a White Cloak insurrection of any town that they go to mm. because... There's already so much chaos. They can just kind of insert themselves anywhere they go. Maybe they're all on the travel right now. <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, in this in this situation, they don't. There isn't a village close by. Like that or was one of the things just, that Elias. These are just like, the reject white cloaks. That They were like, yeah, you guys go out to the forest and look for dark <laughs> friends there you know like what what are you doing Maybe. out there yeah listeners I think, I think they're hiding that's what i think like i think they're okay. trying to hide their movements because they want to get to camelin Logain is on his way to camelin mm-hmm. i'm betting that they're going to take that as an opportunity to like rile some people up and 
even though I just read the first book not that long ago, I don't really remember what the White Cloaks do after this. <laughs> 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 Hooray, shitty memory! But I mean, yeah, like the, that's the White Cloaks don't leave that like, lasting impression on you, though. I mean, except for them being awful. So. Awful. That's true. <laughs> like, I kind of like I like reading them in the moment because they're terrible. But then I like leaving them behind because I don't need their filthy <laughs> stench on my brain. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. Eyes without pity. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if we had jumped into that already or not. But yeah. Perrin thinking about mercy killing Egwene. Yeah, Oof. like Very. you know, things are bad, and again, mm-hmm. poor parent is just dealing with all types of moral dilemmas right now. I Absolutely. mean, would you rather be tortured by millions of little tiny beak bites, or mm-hmm. like, like Elias said, like one swing of the axe and it's over with? So yeah. these are some very deep and dark ideas and thoughts that we are having to process that Perrin is having to process mm-hmm. and he's so young yeah he's so young like the thing that I have to remind myself is how young they are mm-hmm. and how heavy this has to be for someone I mean it's heavy for anyone of any age but in particular so young still fairly naive not really aware of the ways of the world and all of a sudden your life has exploded in chaos and violence and mm-hmm. eminent death, it feels like, in so many ways. Yep. So, yeah, that really, that part really hit me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One more little tiny thing. Elias says when they reach the setting that it'll give any, it's like an ice that I will give um, them the shakes like a seven day drunk. And then Mm -hmm. he says it's safety. So he's comparing um, like channelers to addicts. And Mm -hmm. um, he -hmm. mentions that it's safety right after Mm -hmm. that. So he's not only just saying that they're safe from shadow spawn there, but it also shows how dangerous and how, scary the Aes Sedai are from his point Mm -hmm. of view. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he's almost grouping them with like... Shadow Spawn. Yeah, like Shadow Spawn or even the White Cloaks at this point where Mm -hmm. they are... the the Red Aja had been hunting him down and trying to gentle him even though he can't even channel so it's just like this whole world is completely messed up right now yes yes it's chaos chaos children of shadow children of shadow chapter 30 i'm gonna try to get through this fairly quickly these notes at the beginning are yours just a shout out to elias uh the quote is he was out there also more dim sensed stalking the night with his long knife a two-legged wolf with one sharp steel tooth. Long tooth. That's what the wolves call him, <laughs> long tooth. I love it. My heart. The mm-hmm. next, um, I already talked about that. Uh, child buyer saying there were a dozen other men. We know he is a huge liar, and that is that. <laughs> liar. When Perrin is sharing with the queen that the men coming smell wrong, like rabid dog smells wrong, I feel like we already kind of talked about that as well. But one of the things that I'm I'm wondering about is can wolves smell a person's soul? 
Do you oh. know what I mean? Oh. Huh. Like, how how are they able to smell emotions? Yeah, this is one of these things where when Perrin is constantly, <laughs> I don't want to say sniffing Fahil, but he's, <laughs> he's constantly smelling her emotions where it almost feels a little bit like, infringing on her Mm -hmm. own Mm -hmm. thoughts kind of yeah yeah she can't be completely private from him because he can smell her everything on her yeah yeah it's weird it's it's kind of ew it's kind of gross but um it really is it really is yeah it's a little bit of like a breach of trust but um Uh but the wolves don't seem to <laughs> make judgments based mm. on it. Do you know Mm-mm. what I'm saying? Like yeah. they, for them, they just observe. Yeah, yeah. They don't really, they don't really think like humans. That's why there's such a hard, hard. They're so hard to communicate with. Where parents always like what he doesn't know what to send back mm. to them to make them understand things. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just. Um, well, and why would they ever need, like, from a wolf's point of view, why would they ever need to use the knowledge of those emotions for much outside of their own safety and well-being? Right, right. If they're Whereas just, like, parents, they smell it, they're, like, bad, wrong, stay away, okay, yeah. or bad, wrong, attack. Yeah, but parent can use it to manipulate a room full of people. Right. You know, so it's very it's very interesting the kind of power that it gives him. And I mean, Elias even chooses to just leave the world entirely, like mm-hmm. rather than being able to use this power or abuse the power, he just chooses to hang out with the wolves all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really interesting how we get those different directions that can be taken with the wolves. Uh, Aguin asking parent to dance was just like that little moment of tears. But does it ever happen? Do they ever have a moment where no. they come together like this? I Actually, think so. what I wrote in my notes is I believe there are a few chapters in tear that they are mm-hmm. in the same place together. Mm-hmm. But I don't think after this chapter, they have a heart to heart moment ever mm-hmm. again. He yeah. briefly runs by her and tell Ron Riode when he's like, it's just a weave, it's just a weave. peace. And she's like <laughs> fighting, you know, one of the Forsaken. And like mm-hmm. they don't have another moment like this together, I think, until a memory of light. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, because she's not even, that's when Egwene and Rand are having their big meeting. Mm-hmm. And Perrin is there, but mm-hmm. he they're not there in a friend, you know, mm-hmm. relationship. Capacity. She, yeah, she's, exactly. she's there as the Amerlin, and he's there mm-hmm. as, you know, one of Rand's. Her Lord of the Two Rivers. Yeah, or one of. Yeah. 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 So this is what was so, I think, heartbreaking for me in this moment is knowing that their story is about to come to an end end together yeah Yeah. like their relationship will never be this close I don't Mm -hmm. think ever yeah wouldn't it like wouldn't it have been nice if they would have had like a big dance or something like a celebration of life the night before (laughs) the last battle yeah and like weed and parent dance together and 
Do you remember the, when we sheltered in Archer Hawkwing's hand, Perrin? Yeah. You know, the, like... If, but Egwene the Omerlin would never in a million mm, years let her guard true. down for that. Not even, I don't not think. even the night before the last battle. No. I don't know. She doesn't I even ever right. go back. She doesn't even go back to the two rivers to check That's on her true. family. That's true. That Cold. is really interesting how she just like it's I don't cool. know. She had to make those choices in some cases. In some cases she did not, but yeah. So this first fight with the wolves coming to the rescue, selflessly sacrificing themselves for what they feel is right. I bet it's it I bet it smells different than that. <laughs> is what I wrote <laughs> I put it in quotation marks. Maybe I should have put it in italics. Mm-hmm. Um, but they show up at so many crucial moments in this series, and I just love them. We've talked about our love for the wolves already, and I won't super go into it, but that was like the note that I have. And I need need a wolf brother pouch or some sort of wolf brother paraphernalia to add to my Threadless collection. plug. Threadless plug. Actually, <laughs> we do have to do a threadless plug at the end because there's a sale. Let's try not to forget. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I already forgot that I wanted to say it earlier. <laughs> we well, okay, can just so say it is, right now. That's that's true. And then I can just put it in there. So there is a Threadless sale coming up starting the 16th of May. I believe that this episode will air on the 19th. So it starts on the 16th and it goes until, I believe, 10 p.m. on the 23rd. But it is 15% off everything and free shipping. So... That's pretty great. Free shipping is a major, major. It's a big thing. It says minimum supply, but I I mean, I haven't been able to find out what the minimums are. Um, I think there are certain things like sweatshirts right now Mm. that they they don't have. So that might be it. It's summer. I don't know. Maybe they are just uh, scaling down something like that well, right possible. now but i did see that they added different types of sweatshirts so there are more mm-hmm. options so maybe mm. they're phasing some of the older distributor uh brand uh whatever style <laughs> sweatshirts <laughs> long sleeve shirts they are yeah. listen to me don't i sound smart <laughs> <laughs> you do you do so yeah i just i I wanted to check in on that sale and let people know if they're looking for merch. Our stuff is so fun, and I still need another order, and I've got a bunch of, like, live photos that I'm going to keep editing to put Mm. up in a collection so that, like, we should get the mug mug photo that you have up there, too. Anyway, Threadless is fun. We've got a bunch of really neat designs up there. Um, We have some designs in like listed on our products that haven't been published yet that I'm really excited about. Some I new, love new new things. The fork root tea one. Mm-hmm. I love that one. I love it. I okay. love it. Yeah. Okay. Get, as soon so, as I'm yeah, as soon as I get internet some bound. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life has been crazy, so we're gonna we've got some stuff that we're planning to do and it's really exciting and it's leading to learning a bunch of new skills and connecting us with people, and it's been really fun. And the Threadless Shop, I just think, is wonderful. It's such a fun, like, Wheel of Time tribute. It's everything I would want to see in a product like that. So, great job, Amber. Great job, Design Tracy. <laughs> We're a good team. So, uh, I think the last thing that I really want to say, oh my God, no, there are so many other things. Fuck it. This is the last thing I'm going to say. <laughs> 
Uh, ooh, and I'm going to do it for this because I thought it was really interesting. Um, child buyer and his manipulation of truth to be the truth that he wants it to be. And this is so very Aes Sedai, in my opinion. Like, mm. he bends things to be the way that he wants to see it, and he says it with such conviction that it is his personal truth. And I Hippocrat. think about how that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think about that, how that is how you can break your way through the three oaths when you're an Aes Sedai, is you just... You believe to be truth to be what mm-hmm. you, you interpret believe, it yeah. as. Yeah, but I had not known this... Um, Apparently, Grendel at some point revealed that she had a white cloak in her employ, which mm-hmm. is most probably Bayar, indicating that he was either a dark friend or under compulsion. Yeah. I didn't know that before. We talked about it in, I think, the White Cloaks episode. Oh, I'm so good at remembering things. Um, It, it was just, <laughs> it, but it was one of those really short little, like, mm-hmm. snippet things because I don't, it was one in one of the later books. She makes just, like, an offhand comment about it, and we never get, like, 100% confirmation that Mm. it was him. Yeah. But. But I love the idea of it, and in some way it makes, like. Because you remember how belligerent he gets Mm -hmm. in the end there when, Mm -hmm. um. Oh my god, why did I almost just say Gandalf? <laughs> Wake up, Amber. This is what late night recording with Black Tower podcast does to me. <laughs> it's all their fault. It's all your fault, guys. Um, <laughs> when they have that um, trial for Perrin at the mm-hmm. end, they get attacked by Shadow Spawn. Perrin comes to the rescue and then they're like, well, you're not actually that bad of a guy. And Childfire is just like seething, like spittle, Mm -hmm. flying. Like he can't stand that after this whole time, he was almost there. He almost had Perrin and he's just freaking out. So Mm -hmm. I could see him under a little bit of a compulsion. Like, bro, that's not normal. That is not... I mean, he didn't kill his dad, but... Right? But, and I mean, the thing is, is, like, he starts out that way, where he's just an absolute zealot. Yeah. And so it's easy to see him make this decline. The thing that I think is the hardest about his death is that it was Dane Bornholt who killed him. Yeah. And, I mean, and they Dane were is friends. just like, damn it, but it had to be yeah. done. Yeah. 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 Like, he, he sees... He breaks through what he perceived to be truth and Mm -hmm. came out this way so i think that that is um i think that's everything all right i I have just a couple other things but i just i could always have a couple other things and we could just keep recording for the rest of the evening yeah and it would be super fun i would just have to keep peeing and refilling on drinks (laughs) It'd be a long edit, a very long edit. It'd be a very long edit. It'd be a very long edit. But I feel like that's a good place to wrap up. Sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. 
You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.